I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. Ah! It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Travis Morningstar. Oh, sorry, Ben. I was just getting overwhelmed with emotion you were watching the thunderbirds fly over las vegas i didn't Tr- see it trump trump sent a bunch of air force pilots to fly over the empty city of las vegas to show support for all the essential workers did you well, did you, I, well you, how is that gonna work well you see they 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 roar over las vegas and um the vibrations cause the windows to sort of vibrate and it, it's sort of a it's sort of a uh seismic show of support for all of the grocery store workers uh-huh. and nurses and uh yeah trump, trump don't forget about the casino workers i'm gonna see you soon that's casino right. workers i don't care if you gotta wear a glove a full hazmat suit we gotta play craps it's sort of a it's sort of trump's psychic blast of, of appreciation uh for the people in las vegas in particular i love it welcome to top hat everyone a little bit later on in the episode we're interviewing david daly he's the author of a book called rat fucked and a book called Unrigged, which is uh, really an interesting conversation we got. Uh, we have a uh, conversation about gerrymandering, redistricting, but not in your typical boring-ass way. We really bring it's really exciting stuff. So, David Daly, make sure you listen uh, to that interview. Fascinating man. And he wears glasses, and I like him. Also, he has a scary prediction for 2020 i didn't even consider th- yeah. th- that this thing could happen mm-hmm. well, so uh you never know what's gonna happen I guess in 2020 keep, keep listening so uh travis is gonna let us know about what's going on there's a bunch of you know civil liberty concerns that kind of stuff we're, we're talking about the new normal new normal folks isn't that exciting the new normal um apparently the new normal is uh, thoughts of suicide as well i was just reading this article Apparently, the suicide hotline, suicide hotlines, there's more than one, they're up 800%. Uh, there's been an 800% spike in calls. Of course, this is because jobs are disappearing. Uh, people miss their family and their friends. Uh, this is according to former Congressman Patrick J. Kennedy. He says that calls to hotlines have increased by 800%. Uh, The mental health advocate sounded the alarm at a Metro Nashville news conference, raising the question, will the silent killer of mental illness be our country's next major crisis? This is what Kennedy said. He said the tragedy of COVID 
is that it exasperates this already prevalent mental health and addiction crisis. No one doubts that mental health and addiction is real. He goes on to say every single American has been faced with a mental health issue in this COVID crisis themselves, not just a family member, but themselves. So something important to remember when we're going through this, uh, it sucks. You know, everyone's feeling down. Everyone's feeling a bit, you know, it really is like you are incarcerated. Granted, you know, it's house arrest. We are literally all under house arrest and we didn't even steal a car. If I if I knew I was going to be under house arrest at 38, I want to at the very least commit a crime. You know, come on. This isn't like, am I getting punished for everything I did when I was 16? Maybe. But people are depressed and there's no easy answer. I don't have a freaking answer for you. Um, but just know that you are not alone when it comes to feelings of depression and anger and frustration. We're looking at these, you know, leaders and they can't tell their, you know, their ass from a hole in the ground half the time. They're just talking total bullshit and it's frustrating. And we're going to talk a little bit about how different states are handling different things. Does this have to be a unified message or if states go their own way, if they go rogue? Does that just undermine everything? We're going to talk about that. Like, yes. What do you want to like if New York goes quarantine until fucking 20, 20, 30 and no one else does? Does it matter? Well, it does because people are just going to leave New York and then <laughs> they're going to go to if. OK, for example, if uh, if New Jersey opens before New York, right? They're just going to go to Patty O'Houlihan's. I'm going to Foxwoods as soon as it opens up in PA. Yeah, exactly. They're just going to go to these places and then drive back. And I ain't coming back. And then you just sort of spread the virus uh, even further. And that's why the there is sort of a Hunger Games districting thing happening right now because of the lack of leadership from the Trump administration. The uh, let's see, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and uh, Connecticut have all agreed to sort of form a coalition, this sort of northeastern pact of states that are going to work together uh, to have a council full of experts, and they're going to figure out when is the best time to reopen, how, in what stages, right? Uh, how gradually things reopen, and uh, the sort of different designs that need to go into place in order for people to be safe and on the opposite side of the country you have uh, another sort of uh, economy that is rivals most countries which is california washington and oregon and they have their own pact as well and uh it's interesting to see that this is what's sort of the country sort of breaking out into their own little like i said districts it's it is very much like the hunger games world and then uh, in the Midwest, they, the Midwest and the South have been sort of hesitant, obviously, to even do shelter in place at all. And so they are they're considering like uh, Missouri and and all these states in the Midwest are considering doing a pact. But they're a little bit more like, let's keep it autonomous. Let's keep it independent. You you can go your own way. Uh, Missouri, Oklahoma might do something different. So we're about to find out like who who can race to the best solution. And unfortunately, if the Midwest fails in their like. Oh, we'll just sort of reopen at our own in our own ways uh, independently, and then the east and west coasts are coasts are doing it correctly. Then there is obviously a chance that all of it falls apart anyway. Well, we'll see. Obviously, states have the rights to open when they want to. I mean, the flip side of that is people are upset that Donald Trump has said he can reopen states that don't want to open. 
Uh, we will see right now we have 33,000 deaths in this country from COVID, but an interesting phenomenon that happens talking about just depression again. And we do want to be careful that we don't have something where, uh, you know, we're driving the death rates, not just for COVID, but also for depression. In 2007, 2008, we had, of course, the massive recession of 2008. Everything went to hell. Uh, a 13% increase in suicides were attributable to unemployment. That was in 2008. 46,000 lives were lost. And as we're seeing, unemployment, good freaking luck in through. 22 million. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the suicide hotline, you can probably get through to that better than the unemployment line. Yeah, well, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. And in some ways, that's not, that ain't good because it's a, st- a, I want people to be able to get to through to both, but it ain't, it, it's feeding itself. And if you're a small business owner and you're calling the banks for a loan, well, that fund has also, I don't know if you saw this, Ben, the fund yeah. has run up. It is gone. So it's we gone. have to wait to the next phase of the stimulus plan. So we lost 46,000 people to suicide a 13 percent increase in 2008 this is according to a survey from march 27th to march 29th of this year 35 percent of those surveyed felt anxious or depressed 42 percent of those attributed it to losing a job or just job reduction 53 percent of people responding to the survey said they were in moderate distress with 27% saying they're in high distress. One out of four people reported binge drinking at least once a week. That is a small at least. I guarantee you it's more than that. One out of five people said they were taking prescription drugs for non-medical reasons, which is just called drug abuse, um, and uh, using information from the U.S. Census and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, they took a deeper look at the association between inequality and suicide rates, and their findings illustrate a sad statistic that suicide rates spike as income inequality increases throughout the country. So, you know, it, it is a hidden figure. It's a hidden statistic. But when it comes to, you know, COVID, we're hearing about the 33,000 deaths, a couple hundred thousand folks that got it. But there's a whole other side to this, and it is uh, much less reported because we don't know the data until it's too late. Because, of course, yeah, these this, people would have to kill themselves in order to have the suicide stats. This has giant ripple effects. Huge ripple effects. Um, in, in This may seem like, I don't know, precious or a little like just cheesy, but really do consider, if you are feeling depressed right now, you have to think that there is a future there is a future beyond this and, and it's like yes that's well a, these governors aren't doing a pretty it, they're, it, they're but, not doing a very good job of but inspiring inte- that intellectually you may understand that there is a future but you really do have to have this sort of you have to like manifest faith that that there is going to be a good future for yourself and so basically what i'm saying is don't yeah. uh try not to wallow it's because being in a box especially in new york city we're in these small apartments you, you you find yourself wallowing or getting into sort of circu- um, circular thinking and and then that's the you let emotions become tidal waves that bring well, that pull I mean, you under the toe there there is a future and that is the sort of the way yes. to, to rise above this this depression and, and I agree and that's really uplifting uh, and I totally agree with that sentiment it's hard I think because we're just so inundated with horrible news and is that news correct no not really uh, again this whole thing we are going to find a cure it's already on its way it's gonna come by the end of the year this COVID thing will be again people have forgotten these past three years 
if you ask people the top five stories, I don't even know if they could be able to talk. Well, again, we were impeaching the damn president eight months ago. It seems so quaint now. Honestly. It is ridiculous. And we talk about this with David Daly. What's it going to mean for voter turnout in 2020? Is it going to help Trump, not help Trump? All that stuff. We go into detail on all of that and talk about, you know, gerrymandering and things, as I said earlier. But if you're looking at this from the perspective of just being a citizen who is told they have to stay inside with no job, People have very short memories. That's what I'm saying. And they also then, because they have short memories, maybe they don't have the ability to look to the future and say everything is going to be fine. They live in the now and the now fucking sucks. And the way that the government is handling this, I just think could not be worse on every single level. We got one side of the government who isn't taking it seriously whatsoever, calling it a hoax, who wants to reopen the government immediately. And then we got the other side. Uh, you know, the, the the Governor Newsom's of the world who want to just expand the surveillance state under the guise of protecting people from COVID in the future. And again, there's going to be a freaking cure. But I want to talk. This is just my perspective on that. We saw with the DOJ, they've expanded their abilities to just detain people indefinitely. Like we're all terrorists and we are all like Guantanamo Bay. I mean, it'd be cool if I was on a bunch of mushrooms listening to Metallica, but I don't want to do it 24 seven. Which is what they did to torture the people at Guantanamo. So now we breathe because now I have to breathe. <laughs> Travis, can you just tell yeah, us a so, little bit about what's going on well, with this? Speaking of Newsom, they're, uh, you know, great qual- hair, great hair. Great, we, all, he, we all admit that. He looks like a former, like, Saved by the Bell actor. <laughs> he looks like a bully. He would throw <laughs> Screech into a locker. But uh, he's been doing pressers like Cuomo. I think maybe yes. a little less uh, in the news about it. But uh, well, over there, he's he, everywhere. I'm sure, I mean, yeah. Obviously. Um, but he's sort of talking about like on Monday he was talking about the new normal of what what daily life will look like and he's he's having yes. people sort of reconcile that this is not going to be a flipping the switch thing it's going to be life is different life is going to be different in in, in small weird ways that are, will feel surreal in the moment but like uh, when you go to a restaurant half the tables will be uh, there because they need to, less um, you know to in, to basically impose social distancing in a normal real time situation um, d- menus will be disposable waiters might be wearing plastic gloves or in, in, in like a fine dining establishment weird things like that that are small but they're textural and they're, you'll see on a day to day basis Maybe Maybe they could wear those white gloves over and make it seem like it's butler yeah. service. Um, but, I, I don't but feel a, like Michael But another Keaton. thing, speaking of surveillance state, there is going to be, this is not sort of a, it's a foregone conclusion. There is going to be some version of an app or update to your phone that will basically act as a COVID-19 tracker. So you were hmm. you're you're going to get you're going to get one of these weeks or months coming soon. Right. Uh, you're going to get a, uh, a notifications that that basically asks you, will you participate in this program? And it'll explain that you are by participating in the program, you are allowing us to sort of figure out who has it, and we're trying to warn people who might get uh, affected by this. Sure. Um, but so. <laughs> The reason why this is happening is because we haven't done something in this country, which other countries have done, like South Korea did contact tracing. And uh, what that is, is where you just sort of like interview people who have COVID-19 and see what they touched, where they went, who they spoke to, who they interacted with. So you can get a whole dossier of the places and people that might have been affected by your infection, right? All right. 
so another way to do this instead of literally going and interviewing these people is to just use your phone as a Bluetooth signal. Mm-hmm. And what that would do is uh, here I, I get actually a description of one of the apps that does this. So COVID Watch is the name of one of the apps Ooh, that is exciting. in development. Uh, COVID Watch uses Bluetooth as a kind of proximity detector. The app constantly pings out Bluetooth signals to nearby phones, looking for others that might be running the app within about two meters or six or six and a half feet. Uh, if two phones spend 15 minutes in the range of each other, the app considers them to have a contact event. Aww. They each generate a unique rant a unique random number for that event, record the numbers, and then transmit them to each other. So you're, the phones are kissing each other. That's cute. Yeah. Uh, and they're Maybe saying, hey, do you have a disease? Uh, and then, so if a COVID watch user later believes they're infected with COVID-19, they can ask their healthcare provider for a unique confirmation code. And by the way, this is, this is one version of the app. I imagine another app would be you literally press a green button that says, I am sick. Um, but right. in this case, in this particular app, you have to ask your doctor for a code, which sounds amazing. Um, when that confirmation code is entered, the app would upload all the contact event numbers from that phone to a server, and then the server would then send out those contact event numbers to every phone in the system. And basically, you would get notified, hey, you were just next to Ben Kissel, who has not only COVID-19, Uh-oh. but a series of other diseases. The gout. Although I've lost think, the gout. I don't and know gout, what happened to it. The I gout is not as infectious and contagious as... Uh, no, I don't think the gout's infectious or contagious at all. As the, unless south, you're, as the south would make you believe. No, Boom. I know. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so that is one of the possibilities of... It, basically, it's going to happen. In, if, either it's this big way where they're saying where the White House is saying, you need to download this app. Yeah, uh, of course. Or it's something... Where, the White House is already working with Google and Apple, and they're saying that they're going to cooperate on this. So you might it might be an iOS update, for example. It probably will be. It'll uh, be unknown to us, I'm sure of it, because but, uh, that's what they're going to be doing to collect the data. However, I mean, and it's strange. Like, where is this data going? Who's, who's taking care of all this data? Who's allowed? to see it it's all these questions that are completely it's an ethical fucking minefield um but but on the positive side of why we would even do this south korea did this initially and um it worked really well it actually did really well the problem with south korea doing this is that people (laughs) their their version of it was not so um it was too it was too transparent and people were being cyberbullied for having COVID-19. So people were, right. so there were like armchair detectives in South Korea saying like, stay away from uh, Sun Min because she has, she has the coronavirus uh, and this is her family. This is where she lives. Right. So pe- shame. So shame. public shaming was going on. Now, obviously we might have, now that we have that, you know, retrospect, that might be a little bit different, but uh, I don't think, you would think that they don't want to like publicly display information no, this at is all. Just, this is just another test market for greater control. With I mean this, I mean it's. I understand the point of it. I get it. And then, I totally or, understand. Well, but it's just like, what are we going to give up? Yeah. What are we willing to give up? Now, I mean, it's it's insane that because I guarantee you this app. I I guarantee you it's just going to update. It's just going to happen. I they I think they have to ask for permission, but it yeah they're probably going to. It'll be in the bottom of some random ass you know thing that you have to say yes to, otherwise you're not going to be able to look be, at porn. It's going to be the long the the forever yep. scroll terms and conditions, um, and you're also going to get like a, a monopoly uh a McDonald's monopoly oh, app. Oh well, for some be reason cool. download on your phone. I'm down with that. So. Again, as we've talked about, these are just some of the solutions coming or some of the um, 
Uh, just some of the tactics that are being used. Well, look, I mean, it, this is what people people get scared when they hear this shit. People yeah. get scared <laughs> when we have the mayor Garcetti, who sounds like you know he's, he's straight up you know out of the wire, over in L.A. talking about how you should snitch on your neighbor, talking about all this bullshit, how you're supposed to be fucking scared, and how your and your neighbor is your enemy. That it just sends a chill down people's spine, and I'm concerned that we're gonna have governors use this shit. We're gonna take politics which are so prevalent, obviously in an election year, red state governors are going to open up earlier than blue state governors. The, all of this stuff is going to become a proxy for Trump. And the question is, as we talk about with David Daly, does this help or hurt Trump? At some point, as we saw with fucking impeachment, as we saw with all the other bullshit, um, Trump ends up sort of skating because the American people are like just so unbelievably frustrated with everything. So the question is, if the economy continues to tank, who do the American people blame at the end of the day? Do we have Donald Trump who is able to do what Bush, and this is what I talk about with David too, when Bush got reelected in 2004, the economy, well, it was beginning to tank. We had the wartime economy, so it was like a little bit of a boom. Um, but it sucked. You know, it was all a big bubble. The housing bubble was blowing up. It was all about to, you know, 2008. You all know what happened. Do we have Donald Trump? Who's just like, it's a, I'm a wartime president. So rally around the flag, the flag that I hug and I molest. Um, so don't go the other way. Don't change horses in midstream, especially a horse who literally doesn't know his own name. That's a reference to, I think a bread song or America song. I don't know. But my, my, and then of course you have voter turnout concerns, lower voter turnout tends to help the Republicans. Do we have a situation where. Because we don't have any, Biden is nowhere. Obama gave him a great boost this week by just talking like a president should. I missed Obama. I miss Obama, honestly, talking to us like a human being. I loved that little presser that he gave endorsing Biden. That was Biden's biggest news, and he had nothing to do with it because he wasn't even there. Also, uh, Obama's basement looks way better than Biden's. Of course it does. Biden is just, uh, I'm going to, you know, we'll figure, it's going to be Biden Warren. That's my prediction. Biden Abrams is what I want, but I think it's going to be Biden Warren because, she is chomping at the bit and i think she'd be a good advocate and i'll get a i'll get a biden warren t-shirt just for funsies so two so we have november 2020 come up i mean what's going to be happening you know if the economy is continue continuing the shitter right it's going to be trash but do we have low voter turnout do we have people who was just like well this is you know this is a war we can't we we don't want to mess with the markets too much again we better keep this guy in office in all scenarios, I, mean, I think Trump wins. I don't know. Who knows? I, I mean, I mean, I mean Biden not, Warren could win too. No, I'm, I'm not saying, saying they I can't. Think but in all scenarios, this only helps Trump. But it's bizarre because he's also, you know, one of the reasons we're so freaking behind here. It, it's it's one of these things where politically, it's just so sad. You know, politics. You know, when when Trump initially said the China ban, people were like, oh, "That's racist," and now, of course, everyone's like, "Oh, we're on board with it." Because I mean, people just were so crazy. And then Trump is calling the whole damn thing a hoax. Everyone is so fucking stupid. It's driving people insane. So we don't have any faith in our government. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to trust these people who are telling us that we should monitor our neighbors and have tracking devices in our phones and update. Like it, it is just for the, for the people are just getting, they're hearing certain terms such as snitch on your neighbor and have a monitoring device on you to tell you how healthy you are. And if you're not healthy, then we're going to alert everybody because apparently your medical information is no longer private, which is one of the most private things that human beings have is their medical information. So, I mean, I just feel like we're in a, um, we really are in a dystopian hellscape 
And uh, there's just no there's no denying that. And it's just who is going to uh, politically benefit at the same time at the same time. People have been giving just shoveling their own information onto the Internet uh, since, you know, MySpace. So it doesn't real. I mean, having a an app that says I have COVID, by the way, it's going to I I have to imagine that it'll be somewhat voluntary. And if you find out that you have it, you have the app or something, it, you can get out of it. But who who exactly is going to use that to its full potential? I really don't know. I don't think that we can rally an entire country to basically say, hey, I ha- I'm sick uh, to their phone. I think people will just ignore this uh, this sort of mandatory uh, Candy Crush game. Yeah, but- well, on a good note, Stars, the movie app, is up 142% new subscribers. Oh, so. well, I was just wondering about that, actually. Yeah, so that's a good that's a good news. Apple Store uh, to reopen in South Korea with an emphasis on fixing Macs and iPhones. That's nice. So we got some... Uh, oh, yeah, you, know, you got a cracked screen? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Seven governors in the Midwest to work together to reopen their economies. We'll see what ends up happening. If the East and the West Coast stay closed, I don't know, man. We're already seeing what we saw in Michigan. We There's a bunch of protests happening today, actually, in Michigan. If the people East, are super pissed off at Governor Whitmer over there, yeah. obviously she's the she's the Democrat. But people are getting, and I'm not saying if this is good or bad. I'm just saying what's happening. People are getting very anxious, and they don't like to be told. And I understand. Oh my God, baby, them and all this shit. Whatever. People just that's just the way humans are. They do not like to be told by a government that they hate what to do. And so I think protests suing. are starting. They're suing. The governor protests are going to start all. They're going to start all over the country. Like legitimately, if this shit goes on until June, if there is a home quarantine until June and then pass, there there's just going to be people protesting, well, and that's just a fact. And then what happens? You I, like I mentioned these packs, these regional packs of states. What happens when uh, the northeastern pack says we're not opening, and then the south or the southeastern part of the of the U.S. opens up wide, and they're raging, they're like roiling with coronavirus. Is there going to be a demarcation line? Where you're not allowed to enter the Northeast, are you? Where people are going to have to sort of why the hell would they want to enter the Northeast? We're closed. <laughs> It'll saying... definitely be the other way around, right? Or okay, well then, vice versa. In like by osmosis, are people going to be trying to like filter in and out of that? Is it going to be a? Is it going to be a show me your papers kind of thing? Absolutely, that's where we're getting to. Of course, we do have some bright side. Abbott Labs, Abbott Labs, um, they're developing mass screening tests. Um, so you, all of this stuff, we're never, we are never going to have 320 million test kits because it's just not the way it works. Cause it was just, there's not a test kit for every, if everyone got the flu right now, there won't be enough test kits. It's never going to happen. You just need enough to uh, deal with the people that are infected. Um, and people who are possibly could be infected. If you live in rural Ohio and you haven't seen your neighbor in a fucking decade anyway, you're going to be fine. So we're never going to see that. But as the test kits come out, and more and more, you know, people do get the information they need. Uh, all of this stuff is going to, again, seem like a fever dream. By 2021, it will pass. And all of those things will be happening. Uh, again, this is why it's important to have proper messaging and leadership at the top. And un- well, because it's just unfortunate with such a gutted government. Yeah. The Trump, the skeleton administration i mean he's not a skeleton obviously he's chubby hello but this is why it sucks this is why we don't get anything uniform this is why no one has any faith in anyone and everyone's just scrambling these governors left to their own devices 
Maybe politically they open up too soon because they want Trump to be happy and that causes a whole nother wave of it. Maybe they open up too late because they want Trump to be unhappy and that just leads to massive economic devastation. The people just don't know who, if they're if these governors are making decisions for their greater good or for their political good. And unfortunately, I think it could be the latter. Um, that's just, I mean, that's how people are feeling right now. You know, I'm, I'm doing my house party. You got the house party app, Travis? No, no. It's really fun. I, I am, it's like I, a house party. I am. I am. Travis, it's I like a house party. so many New York Times crossword puzzles. No, Travis, it's like having a house party. You get like, you know, if but I no wanna, one pukes in your I toilet. If I want to have a house party, I'll, I'll fire up the Sims and I will throw <laughs> myself a house party. Okay. Oh, God. Well, speaking of, <laughs> uh, well, I don't really know what the segue is, but speaking of, uh, well, not, no, again, there's, there is no segue. When it comes to the World Health Organization, Trump is uh, looking to, uh, withdraw funding probably not the best time to do that of course the world health organization trump is upset with it because uh, he doesn't believe that they acted quickly enough or they bought into china's disinformation which is true china is full of lies obviously but again the buck stops with the president and we need someone to take accountability you watch fox news all tucker is talking about all hannity and laura ingram all they're talking about is passing the buck. They're like, it's China's fault. It's like, yeah, China fucked up. It's a communist country. They well, have no. They don't have a proper news source. You're right. Uh, all of those things are not wrong. But we also have a president who called it a hoax way too late in the game. Like, you, yes, everyone messed up. Got it. Trump is also like uh, bringing in a bunch of private corporations so that he can, if things oh, go, I saw if that. everything goes to shit, he can be like, it was Build-A-Bear Workshop's fault. It, like he can throw blame onto all these other like, Walgreens and shit. He's, he's ready to get this. He's trying to brace himself for one big blame game and he's trying to dole it out to other people as much as possible, bailing out this, this fucking sinking ship. So the United States is the biggest overall donor a donor to the World Health Organization. We contribute about 400 million bucks annually. We did that in 2019 anyway. A lot of money to you and I, but for the federal government, not that big of a deal. But it is about 15% of the World Health Organization's budget. So actually their budget isn't really that big. If you think about what their job entails, so the you know, uh, so the U.S. has said, "All right, we're not going to uh, fund you anymore," and um, this is something that has a lot of people internationally quite upset. This is according to uh, Tedros Adhanaman. Uh, he is the director general of the Global Health uh, Agency. Uh, he regrets Trump's decision to halt funding of the UN body, of course, World Health Organization. Uh, this is what he had to say. He says, this is a time for all of us to be united in our common struggle against a common threat. When we are divided, the coronavirus exploits the cracks between us. He warned the World Health Organization will review the impact of the funding gap and will continue its work without fear or favor. Earlier, he had written on Twitter, there is no time to waste. Uh, the World Health Organization's single focus is on working to serve all people to save lives and stop the COVID-19 pandemic. My official thoughts on this, I don't think you got to defund it. I think we should probably continue to fund the World Health Organization. It's probably uh, a petty political gripe. It is a petty political gripe that Donald Trump has. And it's just another taking his ball and going home because he didn't think he got the proper accolades from the world health organization yeah no they didn't, just they didn't appreciate him enough 
I'm not saying that's the thing. It's like when it comes to all of the bullshit that I think some of these governors are pulling off and really we'll see how long it lasts. There's going to be protests. There really are soon, even in even in places like the West and East Coast, where it's like we're we're pretty reasonable. People are pretty reasonable here. We understand it's we're like the epicenter for it. Mostly New York because we're on top of each other. We live on top of each other. (laughs) But you have Trump going there and then being like, yo, we're going to defund the World Health Organization. So fucking stupid. It's just like we don't everyone. How is everyone handling this so wrong? It's like amazing because it's like we did just because the Chinese government lied to the World Health Organization. That's a fact. Sure. They, They lied. They're multiple months behind. They say if China could have gotten on top of this thing earlier, we could have saved two-thirds of the amount of people that ended up dying. Okay, got it. But that doesn't mean now that we all of a sudden just stop funding the WHO when we could use the 15% power that we have to not force them, but heavily encourage them to work in our favor. Now what do we have? We don't have any skin in the game. We have no money. So whatever power we had over them before is fucking gone. You would think that Trump would know that money buys you power. That's like one of the that's like the cornerstone of his entire lifestyle. Well, it's the he, the only card he has is the politics of spite. So it he can just spite these people. I just don't understand and the then point of it. Move on and and cast blame at the same time. Uh, but <laughs> have you seen Trump's press his White House briefings lately? Yeah, but he my he, man he, is he, losing his mind. It's gone crazy. He's dude. almost in tears. Uh, trying to Ugh. trying to explain to these to these savages <laughs> that Gone it crazy. is not his fault. He played on Monday. He played a clip that was pulled from Sean Hannity's show, and then where in the parts of the clip that were supposed to be Sean Hannity speaking, he just put like white title cards that said like Trump not responsible. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Dude. He's losing his damn mind. But we've been saying that forever. I don't know if he ever had a damn mind, but it's insane. Anyway. There you go. This is just people. At some point, these politicians have to realize that people are only going to take so much. And I'm not like being like, I'm not like Mr. Ominous. I understand this is a very real thing. I get it. But it's just, that's just how human beings are. And um, we will see. They just need to, you can only push people so much. And just tell us the truth. Because now, of course, Cuomo has extended to May 15th for the stay at home. Uh, The mask thing is becoming... You know, more more of a penalty. Obviously, you're not going to get fined or anything. Um, although you're not going to be incarcerated, but you could be fined. And make no doubt about it, these states are going to be making. They're finding ways because obviously not as many people are driving in California, for example. So they're not getting their DUI checkpoints. So they got to find ways to make their money. That's why it's five hundred fucking bucks if you get caught not wearing a mask in you know supermarkets or something like that. Well, they just don't let you in. I mean, it's it's insane. They like they they find people for going to the beaches and stuff. And I understand we have like social distancing and stuff, but make no make no mistake. This this is also a big money grab because they're trying to find a way to uh, to make the cash that they're losing yeah, with some, all the other checkpoints and for stuff. For some like that. reason, United Health, uh, the healthcare insurance company, their stocks are like. <laughs> like crazy driving up while people are lose dying and losing their health insurance at the same time. It's weird. I don't. I guess I don't understand how the. That's st- what I was telling you. It's a good time to invest. I don't understand how the stonks work because their people are just like well, they need it. Getting kicked off their insurance by the millions sure. and the uh, stock market prices for that particular company. And I'm sure That's others. A good question, actually, is, is like going crazy. Is living through COVID now a pre-existing condition? 
Yeah, I don't you know. know. Was that like when this is all said and done, when we got the vaccine and this is nothing more than, you know, we are approaching, like a common cold. We're is this a pre-existing we're condition? We're approaching a, a Blade Runner future, though, where people will know. They'll know. They'll they'll wave their QR code Aww. phone app at you, and you'll they'll know if you uh, if you've got the COVID nineteen, and then they'll hunt you down. I'm gonna. Get and then it. at the end, the hunter, the COVID hunter, then finds out that he himself has COVID nineteen. Oh my god! <laughs> well, you better kill your neighbor. That's all I know. It's that's, the only thing that's gonna save us. I think that's really the point of this that's show. The whole point. That's the whole fucking point. Yeah. Um. All right, everyone. So basically, biggest news. Obama came out, supported Biden. Biggest news for Biden. It made Joe Biden look great. He was not there. It <laughs> uh, looks like Elizabeth yeah. Warren. Elizabeth Warren is chomping at the bit to be Biden's VP. Rachel, I think the Biden. I think the Biden Warren ticket. I mean, I'm a little bit. I'm a lamo. I've said it. I know that. But I, I like Biden Warren. I, I think that well, could work. It's interesting. It's like because we saw in the primary uh, who was who was Elizabeth Warren's like base. It was basically college educated white women uh she did not bring out a lot of like minority votes and she did horribly in her own state so you wonder like how much of the popu- how much of the country at large will see that well that's the but that that's the people v- that he needs that's what he needs because he's you know Bi- the the biden coalition I, will be the obama coalition I, no, so I, he's got the folks of color um he needs those he needs those suburban white women that went for trump yeah, perhaps. I uh, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, it's. It, I think obviously per, uh, she's the progressive answer to his whole thing. Like, he, he has the solution in his hand right now, which is I pick Warren and then that that absolves me of my, like, neo-lib conser- like, conservative That's leanings. But, she, uh, she's better than Tim Kaine for a uh, VP choice. That's I don't for know. damn he, sure. He, uh, Tim Kaine gave a, an, inter- an interview with Rolling Stone, and his favorite oh, band gosh. is The Replacements. So he's actually pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think he's pretty cool. I listened to his Spotify playlist. Uh, Kane Train. Oh, the Kane Train. So, yes, Obama's endorsement. We'll see how long or how far that goes. But I, for one, did nerd out a little bit. Because it was nice to see Obama talk. Honestly, well, I know that he. We can go this, that, and the other thing when it comes to policies and should have done this or whatever. There were some good things that happened. Gay marriage. Uh, you know, the the economy was improving under Obama. Don't like that that whole thing. It's a total lie that it wasn't. They're like it wasn't growing fast enough. Well, we were coming out of a recession, so you can't exactly just you can't overstimulate the economy either. It was like Eddie Murphy um, coming back to SNL. But it was I mean, just it, nice. It, it, it was yes. weird to see him. It was like, oh wow, you really who got who convinced you to to come out of your uh, your your so, mansion or off your your yacht? They're sticking to the schedule. It's all done. Biden's the Biden's the choice. I, if I if we can see Obama, if Obama go, like Obama's still going to sell out some places. The dude's just he's a big star. He he's a big star. He could have sold that twelve minute video on iTunes for one ninety nine. Yes, he could have. So. That's big news. That's big news for uh, for Biden. We'll see what we'll see who he chose chooses in the Veep stakes. It looks like Warren really wants it, and I could see that work. My 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 little brain sees it working. I could I could see it happening. Um, yeah, Trump pulling out of the World Health Organization. Huge news. It's what's going on just in general. You know, again, uh, you know, going to those suicide stats. People are feeling bummed out. People are losing jobs. We in a capitalist society, we attach our worth to our jobs, and I don't want to see any of these people being like, "If you're, if you, you reassess your life, go fuck yourself." 
The only meme that I liked is if someone left New York to go live with their mom and dad, they can't come back. That was the only meme where I was like, yeah, that's a good point. That meme but was just leave uh, people alone. That meme was started by the son of the founder of the Pratt Institute. Son of the founder of the Pratt Institute? The, Isn't he super rich? Yes. <laughs> good for him. Ugh, I don't know who starts all the memes. I just I just read them. Oh, I, I read quite oh, a I, bit of memes. I, so, I ethically source my memes, actually. I had to all unfollow. my memes are organic. I'm finding that a lot of these memes are lies. I do a lot of fact-checking on my memes. Wow. Yeah, I know. Well, you're, yeah. It's unbelievable. I followed a bunch of horror sites, and then it'd be like scary stories. You're still young enough to not just completely face value believe memes are real. So that's good. Not quite. Not quite. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Anyway, those are some of the big stories, guys. Uh, I hope everyone's doing all right. This interview with Dave Daly, I think it's a good interview. He's a cool dude. He looks like Alton Brown. A little bit. He's got glasses. He's a, he's like your typical he's like your typical poli sci dude, which I love. I always love my poli sci nerds. Uh, and it's a really good conversation about gerrymandering, redistricting, what we got to do to to get back to good. 2010. Of course, we're in a census year. 2020. Make sure you fill it out. I'm a pretty cool guy. I tell people to fill out the census. In 2010, basically, they were able to completely rig the entire system with the gerrymandering that took place. So watch the documentary Slay the Dragon. Yeah. It's awesome. The story of gerrymandering it's super is boring, so, it's but so it's boring until you actually think about it's it. It's really that, exciting. And then it's like, how did this happen? And and now, you know, it more more than ever, politicians seem to be like, uh, emboldened to say, yeah, we <laughs> we gerrymander. Uh, just this week, uh, the Georgia Speaker of the House was like, yeah, I don't want to do mail-in ballots because that means that more people would come would have uh, their yeah. vote to matter. Don't want that. We don't really want that. And then Trump also, of course, said the same thing. Uh, it's crazy. I think they're just they're more than ever. They're flagrantly just saying, yeah, we don't want people to vote, and we are gerrymandering uh, entire states for the sole purpose of de- disenfranchisement. Great. So we'll see. We'll see. Political uh, certain governors have different political reasons for opening or keeping places closed. We're all in the, in the crosshairs of this proxy war, and uh, just you know, living the life of the average American. It's just so wonderful to be manipulated on a daily basis. Okay, everyone, I am honored to be joined now by author David Daly. You've read his books. One is called Unrigged, and the other book is called. Rat fucked. Thank you so much for being on the show, David. I really appreciate you. I saw you first on a kick-ass documentary called Slay the Dragon. It's all about gerrymandering, redistricting. What's been happening with our democracy? 
it's not necessarily in the greatest shape. So thank you so much for being on the show to tell our audience a little bit about your insight and what you have learned uh, throughout your research and study on uh, the most important thing in a democracy, which is voting and which is our feeling that uh, our vote matters and our vote counts. So thank you so much for being on the show, David. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. So the first book that you that we'll talk about is Rat Fuck. This book came out in 2016. Now, of course, the term rat fucking, uh, it was I think it was Wood, Woodward and Bernstein. Uh, they came up with it uh, during the during the Nixon era, kind of a Watergate uh, slang term for basically uh, the everyday American being screwed out of their right to vote. That's sort of uh, what they what the premise of the term means. And that is obviously the name of your 2016 book. I want to say um, thank you for having a book with a curse word in the beginning in the title, because it really makes a lot of people at all these bookstores that you go to uncomfortable, which makes me very happy. I watched a bunch of your YouTube clips yesterday, and many of the people introducing the book would be like, I don't know if I should say the title. But we have inv- we have invited this man. It's called Rat Rat Star 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 K E D. Um, but we but here on uh, the podcast we can of course say Rat Fucked. So uh, thank you so much for writing that book. And can you just tell us a little bit about 2010? What happened that year um, that really compromised our democratic process? Yeah, gerrymandering is really a uh, dirty deed done dirt cheap, you know? I mean, that's that's really what it's it's all about. And what happened in 2010 was really the Republican Party's response to the big Democratic wave year of 2008. You get a Democratic president, a Democratic supermajority in the U.S. Senate, a renewed Democratic majority in the House, and a lot of people thought that the Republican Party would be a minority party in this Uh, country for a decade to come, that the demographics of the nation were changing. Uh, Well, it didn't exactly turn out that way, did it? Um, And that's because what Republicans realized is that 2010 was a census year, which means we redistrict every legislative and congressional line in the country the following spring. Yes. Um, And they had a little light bulb go off over their heads. And they said, wait a second, if we can win control of state legislatures Mm -hmm. in important states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, North Carolina, Michigan, Florida, we will be able to have complete control over drawing the legislative lines, not only in those states, but also for Congress for the entire next decade. Yes. So 2010 was in many ways Um, a much more consequential election than the 2008 election. We've been living with the consequences of that election for the last decade. Republicans won the power to draw the lines in all of those states. They execute a brilliant plan called REDMAP, which is short for the Redistricting Majority Project. They win these state legislatures. They flip those chambers. They redraw the lines with the help of these really sophisticated computer programs. And here we are in 2020. um, And those lines have endured in all of these states for the last 10 years. And now here we are on the verge of the next census. Yeah, obviously 2020 fill out those census forms. This is why they matter. It uh, greatly impacts uh, how much your vote counts. One of the interesting things that I uh, 
found in Slay the Dragon. Uh, again, this documentary, you can find it. Uh, I, I think I just bought it for 20 bucks or something like that on on uh, iMovie or whatever, one of these damn things. And uh, one of the interesting things that I saw was talking about how you can redistrict now using a scalpel. We have so much data on individuals, and we have found, I think most people kind of know this, but people are folks of habit. We're creatures of habit. We tend to congregate with people of similar mind. Um, oftentimes that could that could be uh, of similar, uh, you know, um, complexion, but you know, for the most part, it's economic and ideological, and of course, uh, you know, racial as well. Because of that, these new technologies were able to just carve out almost like someone who is working late to try to get an ice sculpture to a wedding of Lady Liberty hanging herself, um, because that's exactly what this is is uh, killing our liberty as a nation. Can you explain a little bit on the analytics of what they're looking at when they think of a voting populace? So we have these bizarre districts that are carved out. I mean, they're works of freaking art, what these people have come up with. I know they're political minds, but my God, uh, you would think most of them uh, went uh, went to some uh, fancy school to, to learn how to draw. Um, can you explain what the yeah. analytics are that these folks are looking at to know that these voters tend or basically within a 90 percent or, you know, a 60 percent range? How do, how do they know how these folks are going to vote? I think you've got your finger on exactly what makes the 2010 redistricting cycle so different from any other in our history. I mean, politicians have been gerrymandering for as long as we've had politicians. Yes, you can of trace this back to, you know, Patrick Henry trying to, you know, rat fuck James Madison out of our very first Congress. Mm. Uh, well, that's that's not an image I wanted to have in my head, but thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, the story that gets told in this movie is a very modern story of gerrymandering. It's the story of what politicians were able to do in the computer era, yes. in the high tech era. And that makes completely all the difference. I mean, even in 1990, even in 2000, when these map makers were drawing these lines, they were using, you know, parchment paper, magic yep. markers, and like their sense of where certain people who voted in certain ways lived. Mm -hmm. In 2010, the data is different. Okay. At first, there's these amazing GIS computer software programs that are the same programs that you know, get us around the country without having to ask for directions, right? So, so there's all this map making software. And then there's the big data that you can apply on top of that. So it's all of the public information that's in the census about every zip code and every census block. That's pretty intricate and pretty detailed. But then there's all the public information data sets you can also add on. So a driver's license database, mm -hmm. what kind of car do you drive? That tells you something about somebody. Uh, the voter registration database. What party are you with? What years do you vote? That's right. pretty interesting. That tells you a lot of information. Do you have a gun or not? Do you have kids or not? So all right. of that information gets fed in. And then there's all of the private data. So every time we do an internet uh, search, all of this information is collected. It's, it's why 
that those ads follow you around from site to site, right? We are dropping information about ourselves every time we go online, every time we sign up for a magazine subscription. All of this can be purchased. It can be it can be uploaded into these um, uh, programs like Maptitude that, that these drawers use. And they are used to draw such perfect lines that there's really no doubt anymore about how they're going to perform. All of those districts, they look so crazy, like works of art when you see them, but they are surgically uh, uh, focused. The map makers know how they are going to perform. They can go up and down these streets and know the exact difference Uh, for a decade of moving those lines a block or two in any direction. And again, we're speaking with David Daly, author of Unrigged, and of course the author of Rat Fucked as well. My question when it comes to, you mentioned folks who drive certain cars, so let's just be cliche. Let's say pickup truck means conservative, Prius means liberal. What came first, the marketing to those people or those people going out and purchasing those products? You know, that's always one of the interesting things that I th- that I think about is how much am I in control of my own reality? Am I getting fed these things that I, you know, I'm six foot seven straight white dude from Wisconsin. So I might get fed something that's different than you or somebody else. And I wonder Am I creating that algorithm or is that algorithm creating me? Do you have any insight into what these political kingmakers, uh, which really are the most, it's the folks in the back room that everyone walks by and everyone's like, that's a nerd. It's like, no, that person is the one who is redistricting and creating our political process, creating our political reality. What what insight do you have on what came first, the marketing towards or the people's uh, desire for? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, I mean, honestly, I'm not sure why you're assuming I'm not some big six, seven guy myself. <laughs> I saw the only reason that I know, cause I saw you <laughs> and uh, that's all. Otherwise I would say, absolutely. This guy's, this guy's a beast. That is the voice of a six, seven man right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think what has made gerrymandering so profoundly powerful is that politics has gotten wrapped up in our identities, right? Yes. And that's why all of this uh, branding and algorithms uh, works. We've become so polarized as a nation that, you know, I mean, Seinfeld used to make the joke that, you know, rooting for a baseball team was like rooting for laundry, you know, and now all of us wear our team red or our team blue laundry, essentially. Right. And even if you're an independent in this country, if you're pushed a little bit, you tend to know which way you're going to fall. Mm-hmm. So because our voting habits have gotten um, so specific and entrenched um, and because almost every election has become nationalized in some way, it's made it easier for politicians to go ahead and draw these lines and to really lock in partisan control of all of these states. And it's done, you know, it's done significant damage, I would say, to the politics of swing states, to, to places like Pennsylvania and right. Michigan, you know, North Carolina, and of course, Wisconsin. So you mentioned, you mentioned how, um, 
every election has become national. And I think that's a fascinating point because we talk about, you know, members of the House who are supposed to be more connected with their uh, constituents than, let's say, you know, members of the Senate. Obviously, you got two folks for a whole state. Obviously, there's going to be a bit more of a disconnect. And obviously, once you get to the executive, we're talking a whole nation here. Where did that start? Was this a national agenda? In this case, we can focus on the RNC. Not that the DNC hasn't tried to gerrymander. Quite honestly, they're just not as good at it um, in many cases. But where did it did this? So this started at a federal level. And was it targeted on those swing states we just talked about? Obviously, Michigan, Pennsylvania, um, you know, Wisconsin. These states got a lot of headlines in 2016 when they when they went red. This was the blue wall. I mean, this was this was the this was the the guaranteed uh, safe zone. This was the safe space for Hillary Clinton. So safe she didn't even have to go there in her mind. So was this a national project? Or was this something that happened more organically in those states? I I assume it's the former. This is a national project. Um, It's really a story of two elections. Um, I mean, you know, 2008 is that big historic Democratic wave. Republicans try to figure out what their response is going to be. What is a path back to power in a nation that is is changing demographically and in a way that is more difficult for them to win elections? So what they hit on is that 2010 is a census year and a redistricting year. Um, and they realized that if they use this new technology in a new way, if they, if they weaponize gerrymandering in a more effective way, they could essentially lock themselves into a decade's worth of victories. Um, and what you begin to see in 2012, it's the first election that is held on these new maps. And suddenly, even when these states go for Obama in 2012, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they all end up with wildly um, weighted Republican state legislatures and also congressional delegations. So a state like Pennsylvania, for example, um, goes for Obama in 2012. You get 100,000 more votes for Democratic congressional candidates but Republicans win 13 of the 18 uh, seats, right? Right, based on how they drew the lines. Uh, the same thing happens in Ohio, where Republicans take 12 of 16. Uh, North Carolina, where it's 10 of 13. Michigan, nine of 14. Um, Wisconsin, um, uh, five of eight. And it stays this way for the entire decade. So what you end up with um, are are uncompetitive elections. You end up with members of Congress who only have to worry about holding on to a primary uh, because the general election doesn't matter. No one can touch them. It's locked in. So they go to Washington and they behave in a different way. The first thing that gerrymandered legislatures tend to do is they go after voting rights. Mm -hmm. So they make it um, more difficult for people to cast a ballot. That means things like voter ID bills. It means precinct closures. It means voting roll purges. It means elimination of days of early voting, usually in really targeted ways. Uh, And so it's no mistake that Hillary Clinton wins the popular vote in 2016 by 2.8 million votes. But in these gerrymandered states that have gone after voting rights, like Wisconsin, like Michigan, you end up with 80,000 votes for 
reducing an electoral college margin that puts Donald Trump in the White House. Right. It's not a mistake that you get a state legislature in Wisconsin that forces voters to the polls in the middle of a pandemic back in April um, in order to um, try to hold on to a Supreme Court seat that is crucial to the next decade of gerrymandering. And as I think this film shows so well, um, it's also not a mistake that these legislatures um, produce policy outcomes that are so out of whack with the kinds of things American voters want to have done. The transgender bathroom bills coming out of a gerrymandered legislature in North Carolina, the folks in Michigan who override the public will on the emergency manager bill, reinstate that, and it leads to the poison water crisis in Flint that produces a Legionnaire's disease crisis. Gerrymandering takes our politics and it pushes it in a direction that people don't want it to go. It moves it far away from the voters and hands it over to the extremes. So I guess the question when it comes to this, obviously we've talked extensively on this show and and political shows have talked about this under Obama, the eight years under Obama, uh, the Democrats lost roughly a thousand House seats. A lot of folks are thinking, now how the hell would that happen? How, you know, how is that possible? Are folks voting for Obama and then going Republican down ticket? That doesn't seem to really jive with how folks tend to vote. So when it comes to the way that they were able to gerrymander and redistrict it, going forward in 2018, what was the difference? How was this so-called blue wave? And we'll see if it holds for 2020. Uh, The polling data is suspect. Obviously, we've learned that over the past few years with the change of, um, of demographics and with the change of technology. I think it becomes more difficult in some ways to figure out exactly where people um, are going to be energized, what pockets are going to be energized at which time, uh, because we sort of live in this area now where you can energize certain groups and other groups might be a little bit more uh, laissez-faire about the entire thing. When it comes to 2018, how did that occur if these states are so gerrymandered? Was this just that overwhelming of uh, an amount of momentum for the Democrats in 2018? Uh, how, did that, how did that happen? Well, Democrats were able to take back Congress in 2018, but they weren't able to make any headway in any of these gerrymandered state legislatures mm. anywhere around the country. So Democrats could win enough seats around the country, largely in seats that were drawn by by commissions or courts. Uh, so uh, first in Pennsylvania, you had a lawsuit uh, there and the gerrymandered map was thrown out as unconstitutional. You also had new maps in Virginia and Florida in the middle of the decade that helped uh, Democrats take back Congress. Um, But Democrats did not win any seats from Ohio or or from uh, Wisconsin or from North Carolina in 2018. Even when they would win more votes in a blue wave, these gerrymanders held strong. Hmm. Um, and right now, there are 59 million Americans who live in a state where one or both chambers of the state legislature is controlled by the party that won fewer votes in hmm. 2018. 
that is nearly one in five of us. Um, and it's something that I think ought to really concern us. And as we head towards 2020, it ought to make everybody really realize what is at stake. Yeah. The White House is at stake, absolutely. But further down ballot, the state legislatures that we elect in 2020 are going to have the job of drawing districts that define our politics for the next decade. Right. And we want those maps to be fair. We want them to be able to reflect a way of one way or the other. This isn't about partisanship. This is about a fair playing field that allows a majority of Americans to win a majority of seats right. in an election. It's the essence of majority rule. It's the foundation of the country. And it all starts with fair maps. These district lines are really the building blocks of our democracy. And when they get twisted and warped by partisans for their own intention, it really warps our politics itself. When it comes to um, I'm interested in the 2020 census. Obviously, a lot has happened in this decade. There's been a, a fair amount of movement across the country. How long do you think people tend to stay? in these gerrymandered districts. You know what I'm saying? Like, how long do they last? We talk about these walls sort of maintaining. I didn't actually realize uh, that the Republicans were able to pick up in so many state houses uh, on the local level when it comes to 2018. Obviously, we talk about the 66 seats. The Dems picked up, uh, many of them moderate seats, some of them more the AOC wing of the Democratic Party. But nonetheless, it was both the further left and the more moderate uh, Democrats came together and they were able to really make some headway on the national level. How long would a gerrymandered district or a state, how long does that hold for before demographics just naturally shift? I mean, I, I live here in Brooklyn, in uh, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I got here in 2006. Some would say I'm part of the problem. I don't know. But it was a much more uh, Hispanic, Puerto Rican uh, area when I first got here, and now obviously because of rent and uh, high costs uh, across the board, you can't have a family here. You know, it's just not Williamsburg is not a place for families. It is a place for you know uh, single uh, people for the most part who are artists and things like that. So, how long do you think that that holds before these yeah. these minds are like, oh well, we better re we refigure out how to screw this state? You ask a great question. You know, um. Back in back in earlier decades, when the technology was not as good, um, political scientists used to talk about how gerrymanders can turn into dummy manders, you mm. know. And a dummy mander is when a gerrymander backfires on a party that reaches too far and sees the demographics kind of turn against them. Interesting. Um, that hasn't happened this decade. Uh, I think in part because the technology has gotten so precise mm. and our polarization has become so intense. Um, it's kind of staggering that these maps um, continue to hold up in, in all of these states and in all of these competitive states. You know, um, Wisconsin, North Carolina, we're talking about places that um, are purplish. Yeah. But what I think is really important is that in Pennsylvania – when the state Supreme Court overturned that gerrymandered map and put a new one into place. Mm -hmm. In the very next election, you go from a 13-5 Republican delegation to a 9-9 delegation that actually fairly represented the people of Pennsylvania. You know, um, yeah. in Virginia, 
where in 2017, 200,000 more voters uh, favored Democratic candidates, but Republicans are able to hold on to the legislature. Nevertheless, in 2019, once a new map is put into place and the racial gerrymander there is overturned, you get an election in which a majority of voters are able to translate themselves into a majority of seats. And that's what an election ought to be about. Um, And when you have a fair map, that can happen. When the map is designed to produce a partisan result, regardless of the way that voters cast their ballots, that is profoundly anti-small-D democratic. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. You know, you mentioned, uh, again, we're talking with David Daly, the author of Rat Fucked and the author of Unrigged. And I want to get to Unrigged here in a second because the, uh, the sort of catchphrase here is how Americans are battling back to save democracy. And I would like to have, you know, I'd like to hear about the battling back uh, aspect of this as well, because I know a lot of people are probably sitting there shouting at their iPhones right now, uh, just being like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do? There's a lot you can do, and this movie talks about it. Yes, so I definitely want to get to that. But just kind of going back, because this is what's kind of fascinating to me right now, is just the target marketing, the political target marketing of these people. We talk about Trump. We talk about the Trump base. This base ain't going nowhere, right? You can't frack this damn thing. Uh, Literally, you know, we we see what's going on on a regular basis, and his base continues to get stronger. And and sometimes, uh, you know, it seems to be getting larger. And, you know, it sort of inhales and exhales like the living body the politics are, but he always has. You know, let's just call it a 33% base. In an election where you have about 60% voter turnout, Then you have another uh, series of millions of people disenfranchised, like as we saw in Georgia with Kemp and Stacey Abrams. How much do you need on a national level? Do they know that all you need is, you know, maybe 25, 30 percent of the population and that'll get you over the edge? I mean, obviously, you don't have to get past 50 percent. Bill Clinton never did. Uh, You don't have to, you know, get a majority. You just got to win flat out. So how can you give any, any any insight into when they're thinking about these things more on a national level now, and I suppose on a, on a governorship, uh, you know, a state level also, when they're thinking about these things, what's their actual number that they're going for? In a, in a, in a, in a cute way, you would think, well, they're going for 51% of the vote. But that's, of course, assuming 100% of the people are allowed to vote and do vote. Of course, you got felons, you got every, so many disenfranchised, it's ridiculous. It's a really good question, and I think, All you have to do is look around the country right now at what states are doing ahead of the 2020 election. Um, And again, 
this is why state legislatures are so important, and it's why fair elections for state legislatures are so important. Um, in states like Texas right now, in Georgia, Missouri, we just saw in Wisconsin last week, um, the 2020 election is going to be different than any we've ever had before. I mean, voting during a pandemic is going to be you know, an amazing challenge. And the kind of in-person voting that we are used to is not going to be possible. Well, this is, I think, you know, speaking of that, this is kind of where I end up, you know, pulling my luscious red hair out (laughs) is when we talk about the pandemic voting that we're going to have in November. I mean, without a doubt, there's going to be the hangover of it, uh, if not still a full on buzz uh, from this pandemic that we're going through right now. We hear consistently that lower, lower voter turnout tends to help uh, Republicans. So we have a situation where it seems as if all sides are, you know, hesitant when it comes to voting. But are we at risk of having a an election in November that is just absolutely ravaged by uh, inefficient data when it comes to you know, you're, we're looking at the folks who are being most devastated by the coronavirus. I just saw my friend Michael Che. His grandmother just passed away um, with the coronavirus. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people who are uh, lower on the economic scale, a lot of folks of color getting hit hard with this pandemic, both because of misinformation and because of, uh, of uh, you know, not up to par medical um, equipment and hospitals and things like that. If we're looking at this, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, this is going to hurt Trump. The pandemic is going to hurt Trump. Maybe it does in the polls. But isn't this just going to lead to a lower voter turnout? And the people in the suburbs, the people with better health care, the people who have more mobility are going to be able to go out and vote. And the folks who can't um, because of X, Y, Z won't. Isn't this just a net gain for Donald Trump and, and the Republicans in general here? It's hard to say which way it goes, but we can look at Wisconsin and say that they were only able to open five of 180 precincts in Milwaukee, the state's largest city. That is insane. Okay, David, can you just tell me, how the hell is this possible? We saw this, I mean, going back to, I mean, and again, this is not the Democratic primary in 2016. Quite frankly, I think you look at what the DNC did in Arizona. I think they railroaded Bernie Sanders. That's just me. But- how the hell can we not have consistent voting booths? How don't we have, like, I I just don't get why we can't have a Supreme Court decision being like, for every 50,000 people, you get a voting booth. Like Oprah, give them a voting booth. It's not that freaking difficult. <laughs> Wherever there's- You any, get a voting booth. You get a you voting get booth. A voting you, booth. You, this is the most boring episode of Oprah ever, but also the most important. <laughs> um, I, I just don't understand why we can't get- Something as simple as freaking voting booths open to the general public in a consistent manner. Well, it's because state legislatures and secretaries of state at the local level control this. Um, And when we vote for these offices, we're also voting for the people who are going to administer our elections for the next decade. Mm. Um, And they keep closing precincts and eliminating days of early voting. Uh, And This is why it's so important for folks to realize that elections matter up and down the ballot. Um, What you saw in Wisconsin was that 
1.2 million people wanted to vote early. And that overwhelmed this elections board, which had never seen anything like that kind of demand before. Right. So if you get that kind of demand for absentee ballots in every state this fall, it's going to be really, really difficult to administer unless if we start thinking right now about how we're going to print those ballots, how mm-hmm. we're going to fund all of this, how we're going to count them, who's going to count them, how the voters are trained, do we have the optical scanners that we need, are state legislatures empowered to uh, you know, get a local election officials counting these ballots a little bit earlier so yeah. we're able to announce the results in a timely fashion. There is a lot that we have to be thinking about and thinking about now if we want to conduct an election that is going to be safe and secure. But the state legislatures know, yeah. No, I'm, I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on where we are right now when it comes to the public trust. You've been doing this for a long time. Again, we're speaking with David Daly, great author. Check him out. You've been doing this for a long time. I feel just myself, I feel like people have less trust in voting than they have in my lifetime. I think it started in 2000. That was the first election that I was able to vote in. We had the hanging chads. We had the whole fiasco that Roger Stone supposedly started. Uh, you can get take that with a massive boulder of salt in Florida, giving W the vote. It's like, damn, man. All right. Well, that didn't seem very fair. Fast forward to where we are now. It seems as if things have only gotten worse. I mean, we look at the 2020 primary with the Democrats in Iowa. They couldn't even get the freaking vote counted in Iowa. How do you what are your thoughts on just the public trust in the voting process? How are people supposed to have any kind of faith that their vote is going to be counted? And can you give any insight into where the process has failed as to why we're having situations like we had in Iowa this, what was that, just a freaking couple of months ago? It seems like a decade ago now. Uh, just a couple of months ago. Can you, can you give any reasons as to why things have seemed to uh, are seeming to erode as opposed to improve? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. We have more tech than ever. People thought that we were going to be voting via text at this point, and we're not even close. We're going back to paper. Yeah, no, I think that voting has become a really partisan issue, but it doesn't have to be. And I think that that is really one of the lessons of the fight against gerrymandering is that people can step up and they can fight against this together, Republicans, Democrats and independents. Um, It's one of the reasons I'm so inspired by the story of Katie Fahey in Michigan, who Mm. Uh, is just a regular citizen, a 27-year-old woman who a couple days after the 2016 election kind of realizes that her family is going to be still deeply divided over the election and she doesn't want to have mashed potatoes flying through the air. So she goes onto Facebook and she posts and she says, I want to do something about gerrymandering in Michigan. And that is what leads to this, you know, huge voters, not politicians and... 4,000 volunteers getting 430,000 signatures signed, and they win, and they get an independent commission in Michigan, which if you're in Michigan, you can sign up now and be and be part of it, and you can take part, and you can draw the lines in your state. Um, wow. This is how we're going to get a democracy back. This is how we're going to restore that trust. When people step back forward, 
realize that they can make a difference, realize that they can make that kind of contribution and, and help draw these maps themselves. And there's stories like this happening just about every state in the country, in which people, I think, are, are fed up of uh, feeling as if their vote doesn't count. And they've gone out and they've organized together to do something about it, to try to take that power back. Um, And I think you're absolutely right. You know, uh, there's a lot of things in our voting that we ought to be down about. But there's plenty to be optimistic and hopeful Mm -hmm. about as well. You know, I mean, Dr. Martin Luther King always talked about the moral arc of the universe being long, but bending towards justice, right? And in 2010, I think a lot of people kind of took their eyes off that arc. Maybe they took their hands off because we elected Barack Obama and they thought it wasn't important to be involved in every election in every year. Right. And we were wrong about that. When we get our hands back on that arc, like Katie Fahey and all of her people in Michigan did, all of these other reformers around the country who are working on these issues right now, when we get our hands on that arc and pull, there is nothing we can't do together to build the kind of democracy we all want to live in. You know, I've been thinking a lot about coalition building and how the Republicans have been able to sort of co-opt a series of different philosophies and get those people under the same tent. So, for example, you're a farmer. You could be extremely pro-environment. If you're a farmer, most farmers are extremely environmental. As a matter of fact, the environmental rights movement sort of began uh, in the farming community. They saw what was happening. They're like, yo, we kind of need this land. You know, we're doing something here, trying to feed the entire freaking country. But then you also have someone who might also be super two-way, super Second Amendment. I'm, I'm a Second Amendment guy as well. I don't think we should go batshit. We're, we're batshit crazy right now on that front. But nonetheless, I understand I understand the meaning of that. Um, then you also have someone, now we're going to pepper in some social issues. Maybe we'll pep, pepper in some gay marriage, uh, things like that. And the Republican Party has been able to um, coalesce a group of people. Uh, abortion, a huge issue. Coalesce a group of people together under one tent that have created a base that seems to be unbreakable, despite the fact that you might have a farmer voting against their own best interest when it comes to the environment. But they'll say, hey, I'm with them on everything else. When it comes to the Democratic Party, one of the issues um, that I feel they're having, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, that I feel they're having is solidifying a coalition. You know, we have the Obama coalition, which I think Biden is going to attempt to to, you know, resuscitate. Obviously, Hillary not able to do so. Uh, I believe uh, the black vote was down about 50 percent for Hillary Clinton. And we'll see what happens with Joe Biden now that Barack Obama has come out and supported him. And who knows who his VP is going to be? I think it's going to be Warren, maybe Stacey Abrams. But what do you think as far as and this is a little bit outside of the, the, the vein of gerrymandering. But what do you think of the coalition that the Democratic Party needs to get back in order uh, to overcome a lot of these voting obstacles. Because right now, I mean, you know, the irony is the Republicans talk about voter fraud all the time as if all these undocumented folks are voting. And I'm like, you try to get a documented person to vote. You think people are voting (laughs) just for fun to mess with the system? I highly doubt it. Um, So when it comes to coalition building, what do you want to see the Democrats do in order to regain, you know, uh, state legislators, and of course, on the uh, in the national executive level. I think it's a great question, um, and I do think it can be tied back around to gerrymandering in some ways. You know, because the laws 
that have been passed to keep people from the ballot box have been passed by the state legislatures that are so heavily gerrymandered. The black vote falls off so steeply in 2016 in the state like Wisconsin mm-hmm. because a surgically focused voter ID bill was put into place that helped drop the uh, black turnout there by a couple of hundred thousand votes, Damn. much of which had to do with not having the proper ID that a gerrymandered legislature insisted on. Um, it was the you know same thing in North Carolina. Um, Wisconsin was won by 22,000 votes by Donald Trump in 2016. There were a mm. couple of 100,000 people in Wisconsin who couldn't vote because of the voter ID bill that a right. gerrymandered legislature passes. So, you know, I think all of this stuff is just so deeply interconnected. The race in 2016 was so close. You're yeah. talking about 80,000 votes in three states, all of which made it more difficult for people to vote in Philadelphia, in Detroit, mm. and Milwaukee. Right. Um, and these are important, crucial states. They're important states uh, in the 2020 election at the presidential level, but they are also important states for redistricting in the next decade and if people want to have fair local elections and if they also want to have fair national elections that's why this fight over gerrymandering and redistricting is so important and it's why people need to get involved and be active at this level well, let's talk about that then. Uh, again, we're speaking with David Daly, uh, author of Rat Fucked and also author of Unrigged, which I like that idea, how Americans are battling back to save democracy. So, David, what would you say then is something that we can do? Because a lot of folks put their hands up. A lot of there's a lot, there's a lot of frustration out there. So what is something uh, that somebody can do? to try to uh, alleviate some of these problems. Yeah, I think the amazing story of Katie Fahey and Slay the Dragon is exactly one of the things that people can do. We can organize our neighbors. We can organize our fellow, our fellow citizens of states and talk about these issues and bring about change. Well, I guess the question is, David, yeah. how do you know if you're talking to a gerrymandered neighbor? You know, like you can go all across. Let's say you go to everyone in your district and you're like, damn, I think we're doing pretty freaking good here. The vote comes. Next thing you know, okay, once again, we've lost, you know, uh, 60 percent of the uh, of the seats in the House. God knows what's happened nationally. How do you even break through? Like, because these these are invisible lines. There's one person I know. Uh, there's that story where one dude's house, I forget which state it is. This is a horrible story because I'm forgetting all the details. But his house is literally in three different voting districts. If he's in his bedroom, he's in one district. The living room's another one. And the kitchen's a different one. How do you know when you're speaking to uh, someone who, you know, of course that's going to be a like-minded person. It, it's hard. It's just, it's one of those things where it's so difficult psychologically to break through into you know the other side of political thought for so many people do you have any advice as far as not just how do that how the fuck do you get out of the echo chamber this is about fairness gerrymandering is cheating and americans don't like cheating i mean look yeah. at what happened when the houston astros got caught cheating right? oh my god don't even get me to el tuve 
Come on. Here we go. See? All right. And the and the now, Patriots, now we're talking. We'll screw the politics. Now we're talking, right? We're talking Astros and Patriots. People don't like cheating. And that's what gerrymandering is. People like honest competition and the side with the most votes, the side with the most runs, with the most points wins. Yes. Um and this is what you see in Michigan where you know 62% of the state votes to put an independent commission into place. That's what Katie Fahey and Voters Not Politicians win. That's 62% awesome. of the vote. You don't get that if it's just Democrats or if it's just independents. You know, I mean, there were all of these amazing redistricting initiatives in 2018, uh, not only in Michigan, but also in Colorado, Missouri, Utah, Ohio. Uh, there was a a voting rights initiative in Florida that won at sixty-four percent of the vote. Um, I mean, Florida elected Ron DeSantis yep. and Rick Scott, a governor and senator, in two thousand eighteen, um, and they restored felon voting rights at sixty-four percent of the vote. So, Democrats, Republicans, and Independents alike all want an honest, fair playing field, and this is a great way to talk to your neighbors about this. Yeah, and I think a lot of people. You know, a lot of people are scared to talk to their neighbors. And now, of course, there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, obviously we're shelter we're sheltering in place, which is a fun way of saying shirk shaking in place and biting our nails and hoping the other shoe doesn't drop um, because the people are a scared uh, populace right now. What do you think the fear of the country is going to uh, what do you think that means to the election cycle? Uh, people are going to go to the, uh, you know, the polls. There's going to be a lot of hesitation. No one even knows if they can trust their neighbor. Are they sick? Are they going to breathe on me? Are they going to kill my mother? Are they going to kill my father? Folks are terrified right now. Just on a just on a sort of psychological level, just sort of a psychic level almost. What do you think the fear? fear what do you think that's going to do to the national election, sort of breaking out here a little bit more into, into 2020 nationally, both on the state level and uh, and the uh, obviously the presidential campaign as well? What do you think fear? How, how do you think that's going to permeate and change the mind of the voting electorate? I think we are going to have an awful lot of fear and that uh, we're still 200 days away from that election. So imagine how much more anxiety can be built up over the course of the next six and a half months. What I hope is that we are able to find a way that Americans feel like they can cast their vote without fearing that they're going to have to expose themselves to the virus of the polling place. You know, I mean, I hope that we are able to secure enough of a vote by mail system that people don't feel like they have to choose between their health and their civic voice. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be, and I've been trying to battle with this also because we have a, such a strange situation where the incumbent, because of the delay to this pandemic, something he called a hoax, well into this year, really, and of course we already knew it was not a hoax, and China could have done a better job of warning us, and hey, this buck is being passed more than a freaking, you know, more than a basketball uh, here. But um, one of my concerns is, we're calling this a war, and this makes me feel of 2004, where Bush couldn't have fucked up mm -hmm. worse. That, that was, I, as far as I'm concerned, Rumsfeld, Bush, Cheney, they should all be in prison. That's just what I think. Do we have a situation where we have uh, a rally around the flag, 
let's just put this guy back in office because we are fighting this kind of invisible enemy, this war. Is there any concern in your mind that uh, that, that could happen for 2020 where people say, well, yeah, but we don't want to change horses in midstream as that old cliche goes, which is literally what W ran on in 2004. Uh, is there any concern in your mind that some of the gains that were made nationally uh, and some of the gains that are being made on the state level um, could be reversed or sort of, you know, maybe not go far enough for 2020 because people feel like, oh, well, better go with the devil we know as opposed to someone like, you know, Joe, who we do know, but maybe there's some questions about his mental fortitude. I have a bigger fear um, and. It has to do with Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution, which gives state legislatures the ability to name their state's electoral college electors. Mm. So what I worry about is that it becomes too difficult to hold elections in some states or some cities are unable to, to hold the right elections or there's absentee balloting issues and you have these gerrymandered legislatures in place in swing states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, North Carolina, yeah. decide that they're going to choose the electoral college electors. This is how gerrymandering turns a public health oh, crisis damn. into a full-blown constitutional crisis. Yo, you're just blowing my mind with that, man. Is that possible? Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution gives them that power. The, the Supreme Court's decision in Bush versus Gore affirmed the right of state legislatures to uh, choose their state's electoral college electors back in 2000. So these electors are able to supersede the vote. So you're saying a uh, concern would be, hey, it's too dangerous to vote. We're just going to we're just going to take it. We, we got this. I mean, it, it, I feel like that would take even even the wonderful, humble people of Wisconsin would take to the streets. <laughs> um. This is what could happen. And Damn. what you have because of gerrymandering in all of these states is a disconnect between the public opinion and the control of these legislative chambers. It could make a huge difference in 2020. That would be completely insane. And you feel as if because so it has the precedent. Obviously, the court, the court has not gotten more liberal in any way. So that would just be, that would be what it would be, huh? This, I think, is the nightmare scenario that ought to keep people up at night. Um, and this yeah. is how the, this is how the gerrymandered iniquities in our system could lead to full-blown questions about the legitimacy of the government right. come November 2020. Well, that is a fascinating, horrifying idea, the idea that we're just going to have these sort of, for the most part, unknown faces, unknown people decide who's going to be uh, in charge of our nation. That is, uh, that is a really fascinating, uh, scary conclusion to the horrors of gerrymandering and redistricting. I mean, that is really, uh, really interesting. So let's just go back to a more positive point. <laughs> When it comes to uh, when it comes to the gerrymandering, we're talking about what you can do, sort of break it. When it comes to packing 
and cracking. Of course, this is when you pack it when you pack a district full of one voting group. So you're going to guarantee maybe you do lose that or you crack it, you kind of break it up and uh, and don't allow that to have uh, don't allow them to have so much power. How do you ensure that you're getting a true sample size? Why can't we just do something where we break this down based on just numbers, just straight up numbers in just a grid form? This is what I've been asking for a long time. And I'm wondering if you think that's problematic in its own right. I don't know. But if we just broke these districts down by the numbers in a basic grid, do you feel like that would lead to something that is much more fair? Or does that have its own unique set of problems? We don't live in grids is the problem. Mm. I mean, if you look at these maps of the country after any election, they tend to be lots of red and then pockets of blue. But the pockets of blue have more people in them, right? right. So if you were to just draw grids over it and choose districts, you'd be representing land and not people. Um, sure. And our districts are supposed to represent people. And that's why people ought to be involved in drawing these lines. You don't want to turn it over to a computer or an algorithm. And you also don't want self-interested partisans drawing these lines themselves in the back room. Right. You know, in Ohio, when they did this, they actually called the room that they were drawing these lines in the bunker. <laughs> because oh politicians God. can always be trusted when they go off to the bunker. Right. So what we really need are the kinds of independent commissions that Katie Fahey and Voters Not Politicians won in Michigan um, because it puts actual people in charge of drawing these lines and it forces them to have conversations. You know, this is what is so great about the independent commission process. Um, You get a panel of of 13, 14, or 15 people equally divided amongst Democrats, Republicans, independents from the state. And if you live in Michigan right now, like I said, you can go off and apply to be on this commission right now. You tour the state. You have public hearings. You listen to people. You try to come up with um, you know, fair ways of doing this. And you do it together alongside other Republicans, other Democrats, other independents. Right. And the beauty of it is that it's not enough to pass a map with a majority vote, okay? If there's 15 people on the commission, you can't pass a map 8-7. You have to have a majority of Democrats, a majority of Republicans, and a majority of independents together. Um, So it forces conversation about what sort of values we have about representation, Uh which communities ought to be held together, and which ones are okay to uh, divide, where do you draw these lines? And it forces people to sort of model the very kind of politics that we would like our politicians to exhibit. I mean, imagine that. I mean, imagine if Democrats, Republicans, and Independents all had to go together, sit down, have a complicated problem to, to work out, and actually solve it together. That yeah. actually feels like the politics we would all like in this country. Absolutely. That's what Katie Faith and Voters Not Politicians built in Michigan. And that is the story that they tell in Slay the Dragon just so beautifully. And if you are feeling down or depressed about our politics, 
this will really make you stand up and cheer. Absolutely. Check out Slay the Dragon. Again, we're speaking with David Daly, author of Unrigged, How Americans Are Battling Back to Save Democracy, and of course, the author of Rat Fucked as well. I guess just just sort of lastly, thank you so much for being on the show, man, and thank you so much for taking the time. Um we're talking a lot about the tangible, right? We're talking a lot about going out, meeting your neighbor, having these sort of meetings. You know, everyone can come together. 2016 was the Twitter election for worse. I'm not even going to say for better or for worse because it was for worse. I, <laughs> I'm not a social media. I do my Instagram. Um, but Instagram seems to now be more on the forefront of 2020. Obviously, with quarantine, everyone, it's video, video, video. Uh, people love content. Biden just got a big boost because Obama spoke on his behalf. Biden wasn't even anywhere to be seen. And they're like, I think I like Biden. It's like, no, Obama's an amazing order. And he just crushed his endorsement for him. When it comes to social media, when it comes to breaking down those walls, without a doubt, we've been talking about the target political marketing towards people who are being gerrymandered and redistricted. When we're talking about the scalpel, Social media got that. This is a freaking laser. They're doing they're doing, you know, eye surgery on us uh, and cracking our freaking souls and showing it to us on our phones um, when it comes to this election cycle, because I think a lot of it is going to be fought via meme. I want to shoot myself in the head just saying it, but I think that's <laughs> the reality that we're living in. How do you have any uh, suggestions? It's a bit more of a tech issue, but I just sort of trying to bring the tangible into this sort of universe that we all live in, which is our freaking phones. How, how do you do that in that kind of context, in, in the context of, uh, of an Instagram or something like that? How do you break through to these groups where it's just mob mentality and, or, or are those groups just like, you're like, all right, hands off. They're finished. They're never going to change. So fuck them or not fuck them, but just say, well, we're not going to convince them. Who cares? Listen, I think this can be done. Um, And one of the reasons I think it can be done is because Katie Fahey built Voters Not Politicians through a Facebook post. Mm. You know, I mean, it was a simple Facebook post that said, do you want to do something about gerrymandering in Michigan? And, you know, it ended up that 430,000 people said yes and wanted to sign their petition. And then 60, you know, one sixty two percent of the state. I said yes at the polls. We are divided. We're in our bubbles. We're in our Fox News or our MSNBC bubbles. Yeah. I understand all that. But these voting rights issues, they really do unify people. Huh. And they unify people because these are basic questions of fairness. These are basic questions of small d democratic values. Yeah. yeah. Um, and whenever you see this stuff on the poll, on the ballot, it wins with 60, 70 percent in 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 blue states and red states and purple states. And yeah. I think that there's a lot of lessons in this that we could apply to the rest of our politics, that if we talk to one another in a language of of common values, there is a way forward. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, I mean, even the most controversial issues in American public life the polls show that there's 60, 70% of us that can see a solution on immigration, Absolutely. on healthcare, on guns. And it's voting rules that, that keep us apart. It's yes. voting rules that have forced our politics to one extreme or another. And if we can fix this, and the people across the country are proving that we can, and this movie 
tells that story. Yeah. Um, we can uh, fix the entire country. Yeah. Slay the dragon. Check out the doc. Read uh, Unrigged, again, by David Daly, how Americans are battling back uh, to save democracy. And, of course, author the, uh, also the author of Ratfucked. If you want a different uh, side of Dave, you can also watch some of his YouTube clips. I have to say, I was I just thoroughly enjoyed uh, all of the, uh, the the I've done a few of those things too at libraries and uh, at different like bookstores. I just I did a, a few. Uh, what was that? I guess last year I did something up at Columbia University, and I'm like, damn, you all are stuffy as hell in here. This is crazy. So, <laughs> oh, I wasn't sure which of my YouTube videos you were aware of. I'm glad you've only found those. Oh so. yeah, you got some different stuff out there. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. I can see that freak flag flying. <laughs> as, as, as we saw with Andrew Cuomo and the nipple piercings. I'm like, what the hell? The, the, the dude's got nipple piercings. It's the, that's the best thing about him. Rat fucked triple X version. I'm glad you didn't see those videos. <laughs> um, awesome. David Daly, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really, you know, to- super informative and uh, and really a positive message. I think that you're I think you're dead right when it comes to basic uh fairness people have we have a we have uh, just sort of a north star everyone sort of has a concept of basic fairness and i think you're right people see this and they know something is fucked and they know something is wrong and it's just about organizing and uh just super encouraging so thank you so much david absolutely my pleasure everybody stay safe and as you are home make sure you watch slay the dragon it's on video on demand uh, this movie is is just absolutely a phenomenal it's a movie about gerrymandering that will make you cry and cheer and just move you um and once you're done watching that you can go out and buy unripped all right there was my interview with david daly check out his books rat fucked and the other book unrigged how americans are battling back to save democracy so thank you so much mr daly for coming on the show i hope you enjoyed the interview hope everyone is staying healthy staying mildly happy and staying safe as possible okay everyone thank you all so much for listening to this episode of abe lincoln stop at we will talk to you soon hail yourselves This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.